Welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast, Free Thinkers. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project editor in chief, Matt Agarist. Our guest this week is Derek Bros. Derek is a former guest of the podcast, and we were lucky enough to score an interview with the man, the myth, the legend on his birthday. We've all heard that James Brown was the hardest working man in show business, and I often joke around that Derek is the hardest working activist in activism. But all jokes aside, this man is motivated, dedicated, and extremely passionate about his focus, his calling, and work to free individuals from the shackles of the state. Derek continues to refine his work and has evolved as a leader in innovating exit and build strategies to create intentional communities while also keeping his finger on the pulse of important information as a journalist. Derek is an inspiration, and this podcast is a testament as to why. Mr. Bros, thank you for your time today. I should probably start off by saying today isn't just any day. It's actually your 38th birthday, and we feel lucky to share some of this special day with you. So thank you for that. Thank you, brother. Yeah, man. This opening, it could easily take the entire show if I were to mention each and every project you've worked on, either currently or in the past. But I'll just start by saying that if you don't know who Derek Bros is or his work and you listen to this podcast, something has gone terribly wrong. So. Derek is possibly one of the most active activists on the planet. He's a freelance investigative journalist and author of several books, including books he's written with former Free Thought Project writer John Vibes. Uh, You've spoken at conferences for years. You've hosted conferences. You've toured the country and Mexico promoting the Greater Reset Project. You just released The Pyramid of Power Season 3, which I'm hoping we could discuss a bit. And your organization, The Conscious Resistance, has been on the front lines of alt-media journalism for at least a decade. You've helped people cross imaginary government borders with your underground railroad work. And the past couple of years, you've been building the foundation for intentional communities in Mexico. And of course, you're a musician who just dropped some new music. Now, this isn't your first time on the podcast. It's actually your second time joining us. The first time was back in October 2018 when you came on our show to talk about Jeffrey Epstein and his network. And let me just point out that this was before Epstein's death. And this was before Epstein was a mainstream talking point, before all the memes and the focus that now seems kind of commonplace. Both you and Whitney Webb have been talking about the corruption relating to Epstein before it was cool. And in fact, years ago, you even sent me a zip file of all the important information you had found in your investigation into the Epstein files as kind of like a backup plan, just in case you were personally targeted. So I guess with all that being said, you were extremely ahead of the curve on this one. And seeing the recent Balenciaga scandal is is basically all the rage online right now. 
Like, do you feel vindicated in your focus on Epstein before anyone even knew his name? And maybe even a bit satisfied that your work helped get the ball rolling on exposing this disturbing underworld that's seemingly existed for decades? Um, I think that there's maybe a temptation. First off, thank you, brother. Appreciate all the, you know, that support and kind of a recognition of my work. Thank you for that. Um, and I was going to say, I think there's a ten, maybe a tendency or a temptation to want to see some kind of vindication or, um, you know, take some, some sort of, uh, part of the, the exposure of Epstein and other cases like this. And I'm sure that my work, I mean, I know for sure my work definitely helped reach people. Uh, as you said, my, I put out a documentary in late 2018, I think called bringing down Jeffrey Epstein. That's when I went to Epstein's house and I was doing a lot of the work on that. And that reached almost a million views before my YouTube channel was deleted. And that was all happening before he was arrested. And, um, you know, there was a few others talking about it, but so it it's good to have played a role in that. Unfortunately, you know, like you mentioned the Balenciaga thing, like, unfortunately, I, over the years since then, and with some of my recent work I've been doing with the last American Vagabond, the last almost six months now, researching and exposing uh, ritualized sexual abuse in Utah involving the Mormon church and other officials going back decades. Unfortunately, it's like, it, it's kind of hard to feel any, um, I guess, any sort of like celebration out of all of it because it just keeps going on. And also I kind of, uh, maybe this is me looking at things with the glass, you know, half empty in this case, but I kind of don't really see a lot of victory in the Epstein thing. I feel like, yeah, it became a meme and it ended up becoming just like a joke on Saturday Night Live where, you know, they're acting out some scene about the devil and you have the actors, I can't remember who it was, but they just, you know, throw in, oh yeah, Epstein didn't kill himself and it's a joke and then they kind of move on. Like, I feel almost like, yeah, we exposed a lot of things and whatever happened with Epstein, we'll probably never really know. Um, and people seem to accept that. Like, that's why it became a meme and it became so viral. Like, people get that. Like, oh my God, we were lied to about Epstein. This guy didn't kill himself. He knew powerful people. And yet, so many people just go about their lives and I don't know that I know what the perfect answer is what we're supposed to do, but it's just, yeah, it feels like a little disheartening that all that came out. And then now people, you know, are questioning some stuff like uh, the Balenciaga and things like that. But you also have the other side of it where the whole QAnon psyop also, I feel like kind of desensitized people to um, these, the real cases about this because the QAnon thing was just about like the weirdest, craziest, you know, claims some of which were true and many of which were not. And so then when somebody like myself comes along and is doing some real investigative journalism and exposing these uh, sexual abuse rings in Utah, um, I have trouble getting traction, which is, you know, it's not just about the views. It's about the work uh, for me and, and helping giving these victims, more importantly, a voice, these survivors, uh, letting them tell their story. But it's just kind of like at this point, a sort of run of the mill thing for some people in our communities. They're like, oh, yeah, I've heard that a million times. But is there anybody famous involved? OK, well, I don't care. Uh, you know, or is it, it they want the most salacious, like disturbing details or something like that? So, yeah, I feel like there is good that has come from all of that research myself, Whitney and others are doing and now putting out there. And now it's getting into the consciousness and maybe with time it will make a difference. Um, but also, obviously, these things are going on, you know, still happening. And that's a great point you brought up about the how they basically after Epstein died, it did become a meme and it did desensitize people to that. I've never even looked at it like through that lens, but I mean, it's true. I mean, you see activists that, uh, you know, have devoted a large portion of their lives 
to, to exposing this type of stuff and they're posting like silly Epstein didn't kill himself memes online, you know, I guess. And I, I mean, I was guilty of that as well. You know, I was, I was uh, posting these same memes. I'm not trying to hate on the memes necessarily. <laughs> no, no, no. I hear it. No, but like the, the, the larger part, like what you said was, is like QAnon <clears throat> and you called it a psyop and I'm, I'm fairly certain it is man. And, and that I think has played a large role in that by they, they have devoted so much time and energy to trying to portray this sex cult as a democratic issue, you know, <laughs> when there's, exactly. there's this corruption on both sides and they have, you know, they, they come up with these outlandish, ridiculous theories, like people, like children are getting transported in, in fucking cabinets from Wayfair and all like just ridiculous shit. And like the, the Clintons eat babies and maybe they do, but there's no evidence of that. No one has any of that. Do you, do you think that that is deliberate? And do you think that that, that this, uh, like this whole psyop, like by QAnon has helped to muddy the waters and, and maybe deliberately desensitize? A hundred percent. Absolutely. I've done some uh, video reports over on, on my website, the conscious resistance. If anybody wants to go to search QAnon, I, you know, there's some older reports I did when it was at the height of it. And those are videos I was doing debunking some of the different Q claims. And I will say there are a few things that happened over that period of that whole, thing which i do think probably is a, a psychological operation being conducted by some element of the u.s military um that there were some things that didn't make sense and that did seem to indicate that trump kind of had some awareness of it but that didn't mean what they claimed it was doing or about was really you know what it was about to me it's like either way they were playing the people because they knew that there were people who thought they were part of some super secret thing and they wanted to be a part of that. And so they played a bunch of people along, but I absolutely think it was uh, done by design. And I, and you know, like I was saying a moment ago, I can see how, how it worked so effectively. So for example, um, I'll just mention this. We don't have to like dive in fully, but we can in a bit if you guys want, but this, this Utah case I've been working on a couple of months ago, NBC published two uh, articles in the same day. And they were both essentially, the point of them was to say, right-wingers, Nazis, extremists, QAnon are associated with QAnon and this uh, revival of the satanic panic. And for those who don't know, in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, there were many, many claims of uh, ritual abuse cults and, and uh, activity that was labeled satanic, whether that is a correct label or not. That was just the term that was kind of being put on it. And uh, many of these cases were exposed, including the Finders cult, which I've researched and produced a documentary on, and other cases. Now, I'm sure there were some that were not what they claimed to be, but to say that they were all fake is just garbage. But that is what the mainstream says. They call that whole era the satanic panic or the moral panic, when all these people were just watching too many scary movies and listening to rock and roll and you know everybody was afraid of things. And it just uh, all of a sudden people started imagining child abuse everywhere and uh they call it like false memory syndrome where adults were allegedly planting these ideas in the minds of kids who were somehow coming up with these very elaborate memories of things that they claimed happened but most most of it would be dismissed and and considered yeah like a hoax and quote-unquote conspiracy theory so nbc was saying that we're in the midst of a revival of that satanic panic and it's because of QAnon and some republican people and um COVID deniers and everybody else. And they specifically mentioned this case in Utah that I've been investigating as an example of the quote unquote new satanic panic. And um, long story short, this county attorney general in Utah County, uh, he uh, 
he is potentially implicated in a case involving cult abuse, like, and that, I mean, a group of people on the local level meeting in private, abusing kids, a hierarchy of people with different titles and labels. And in some of these documents that are connected to this case from uh, a related case in 2013 that I've found and have viewed the whole police file, they do say things like what you just mentioned a moment ago, Matt, like uh, accusing people of literally skinning people and wearing their skin and, um, and, uh, you know, killing babies and some pretty brutal right. stuff. And so I'm not saying that's hundred percent correct, but the fact is that case, which does have a legitimacy and actually weeks after the NBC published this hit piece, an arrest was made. And, and so, but NBC reported on it, like, yeah, because of this new satanic panic, the County attorney, he, uh, David Levitt in Utah, he recently lost his election because he's been accused of being involved in a cult. And they just tried to downplay it say, this is just, there's no, they didn't even look at the actual case. They just kind of made fun of it. And, um, you know, 13 paragraphs down, they mentioned, oh yeah, by the way, um, there is an ongoing investigation by the sheriff's office looking into ritualized child sexual abuse, but that's kind of irrelevant, right? And they just kind of, it's just to me an example of how they're still trying to demean things like that. And, and the way they do that is by associating it with QAnon. That's all you have to say is like, oh, that's some QAnon thing, right? So maybe more people are questioning and aware of things like Epstein, but I also see a portion of the population who now, even if they're willing to accept things like Epstein, they still kind of see that as like an isolated thing. And if you start talking about, well, what about, you know, uh, you know, the Prince and Jimmy Seville over in the UK, or you talk about the Franklin scandal or the finders cults or any of these kinds of things, or maybe even Balenciaga people, there's a certain crowd of people now who will associate that with QAnon right-wing conspiracy theory. And that's been happening for a while, but QAnon, I think just muddied the waters even more at the time when Epstein was really breaking out into the public sphere. Yeah. For sure, man. And and you did your piece on the, uh, which was a very in-depth and like amazing research piece uh, into the the Utah ritualized uh, sex cult, I guess you could call it. And you did that in 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 July, right? For You published that for The Last American Vagabond in July. And then like two months later, that's when uh, Levitt was arrested, right? For, yeah, for that so crazy I shit that you just said. I mean yeah, I started following it in June. So the, the sheriff's office announced May 31st. They just put out a press release. It was like all of two or three sentences that said, the Utah County Sheriff's Office is investigating claims of ritualized child sexual abuse in three different Utah counties taking place between 1990 and 2010. If you have any information on this, please contact us. <clears throat> and so that was that. And I didn't even catch wind of it. I think I uh, first heard about it from Burmis, uh, Jason Burmis. And the next day though, David Levitt, who's the county attorney out of nowhere, you know, the police haven't named any suspect or said anything. They just said, Hey, we're looking for tips. If you have information about this and they announced this investigation, David Levitt, the county attorney holds a press conference of his own where he passes out a 151 page document that was labeled victim statement number three. And he says, uh, I believe that I'm named in these documents relating to this case. And I just want to let you know, me and my wife are not cannibals. We are not pedophiles. And, you know, everybody's just like, where, what the heck, where's this coming from? Like, and apparently that is what he was accused of in these same doc, these documents related to a case. And it's, you know, it's, it, it's a little, it's not super complex, but it, it, you know, it does involve multiple different cases from 2013 and 14. And then now in 2022 with these new arrests of this therapist, who David Levitt, who's the current county attorney and a member of the Mormon church and was friends with this therapist who now is accused of 
dozens of accounts of sexual abuse and rape of children. And there are apparently more arrests. I've been, you know, developing a relationship, a, a kind of journalistic relationship with the public information officer over there because they know that I'm following the story. And since then, I've done seven kind of stories on that main line. But then so many people started reaching out and sending me information related to their stories of abuse within the Mormon church. Cause I started looking at claims of abuse within the state of Utah itself. And I found a lot. And then I started, that led me to looking at claims of abuse within the Mormon church. And I definitely found a good amount of information there. And the more I dove into that, people started to reach out to me. And so that led to two kind of related, but separate uh, investigation. One was called justice delayed. And that was a three-part investigation based on a tape that somebody sent me from the late eighties, early nineties of a documentary that was released back then claiming that leadership and the member uh the mormon church were involved with um, um prostitutes and gay relationships and young boys so i did i really we, me and ryan at the last american vagabond we published that on the internet it hadn't been seen in like 30 years a source had sent that to me and we wrote a couple article i wrote a couple articles about that and then i had another woman named kate who came forward and she was also a member of the mormon church and knew this therapist david um hamblin who was accused of doing all these things. And she kind of became another source for me. And we put out a couple articles about her story called Kate's story. And she's now come out public sharing her story of uh, not only knowing this man and kind of being abused through her, her relationship with him, but also being abused as a young child in the Mormon church by her grandfather. And um, yeah, a cult that she says are sort of a part of the church infrastructure, but kind of uh, hidden within it. So yeah, I mean that that when I opened up that can of worms on Utah, like it's just it's it's still ongoing. I still have people sending me there's there's something weird going on out there, man. Yeah, that's one we've been covering as well, and um, you've been doing a wonderful job, really staying on top of that, and actually just kind of leading the charge. Now, I, I think Derek, you might understand QAnon a little bit better if you would just trust the plan. So I think maybe that's part of your problem. I'm trying. And, uh, I'm trying. <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, it really feels like within the truth community, at least the, the right-leaning truth community, QAnon is a dividing line. And even our interview with Sean Stone this year, back in April, when we brought up QAnon, he kind of pushed back a little bit as if there was more legitimacy there that we were giving credit to. But I, I think ultimately, it kind of blurs the lines because even... Uh, in like 2019, 2018, we were, we were covering the Nexium cult, uh, all the tra child trafficking and the, the sex slave ring. So, I mean, there is these things are legitimate. Yeah. They are happening. But I think what the problem is, is that the QAnon name itself has become a dog whistle. You know, it's become rather kind of toxic in any type of intellectual discourse that involves any type of integrity, you know, so people automatically will shut down any type of conversation once they hear that. But, you know, along those same lines, there seems to be a lot of noise surrounding the World Economic Forum over the past three years or so now. And of course, we constantly see Klaus Schwab trending on Twitter, and the WEF seems to never really leave the news cycle in one form or another. We had a podcast recently with actually two different podcasts with two different researchers who I would say are kind of at the top of their game, one being uh, our returning guest, Gavin Nascimento, and the other being uh, Whitney Webb's husband, Johnny Vedmore. And Gavin mentioned that the WEF is likely just a front organization to draw a lot of attention and anger away from more prominent shadowy organizations, maybe like 
the CFR, who are likely the people who are really pulling the strings and orchestrating things behind the scenes. So like, does this theory correspond with your research as well? Are, is the WF like really the cream of the crop when it comes to these, you know, hidden organizations? Oh, now we're getting into some fun stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think that I probably, I can see both perspectives. Um, I do think that to some degree, the World Economic Forum Okay, so this is interesting because you know the, I'm making the documentary series of Pyramid of Power, and we're we got five episodes left, and the final episode is going to be about answering this question: Who's at the top of the pyramid, right? And I plan to interview a lot of different people. From um, I'm calling it, kind of going back and forth whether or not I should include David Ike, but you know people like Ike to um, <laughs> others who say it's this particular religion or ethnicity, or it's this particular group or it's mm. this religion and all those different claims. And I'm going to try to give a little bit of time to each of them and the people they point to. Um, overall, I think that the World Economic Forum is not the top of the pyramid. I don't think, I mean, I think I'd say they're definitely, I don't think they're nobodies, right? They're definitely representative of a powerful class of people and especially, and Johnny Vedmore has done some good research. There's uh, William Engall has done some good research on this. And if you just look up the World Economic Forum themselves, in 1973, uh, Klaus Schwab released what they called the Davos Manifesto, and that was when he was first announcing his, um, what he calls the stakeholder capitalism. And you can go back to the earliest meetings of the World Economic Forum, and you see him hosting and, and partnering with um, uh, the folks involved in the Club of Rome, who are an even older group that essentially mm -hmm. started the modern environmental movement and the belief that man is causing... Uh, the destruction of the planet in terms of climate and uh, carbon and things like that. You know, they really popularized that. And those folks were right there at the beginning when Klaus was getting his start. And then Whitney's done some good research over at Unlimited Hangout as well on Kissinger's connection to Klaus Schwab and basically mm -hmm. being his mentor. So clearly he is somebody of importance. To, I don't think he's nobody, right? But I also don't think he is... Um, Again, the top of the pyramid, I think he's currently the spokesman for it because we've also noticed the last couple of years, the Bilderberg Group is kind of less now the focus. They meet every June, and I think the last couple of years they've kind of taken off, and maybe the shift has become like, okay, let's let the World Economic Forum step into the limelight because, I mean, they've been around for you know, 30, 40 years now. So it's not like they're a new organization that just popped up because of the Great Reset, right? So I think it's just we're all now paying more attention to them than maybe we have in the past. Um, but I do think there is something to be said for this idea that they are, um, whether intentional or not, they are kind of serving the purpose of absorbing the anger from the people, right? Like the anger is being directed in that way, like you were saying, Gavin yeah. was putting forward. And I think that could be to kind of distract or obfuscate from whoever the real power, the, you know, the masters are. Uh, and to that question, I, and this is somebody I'm trying to interview for the Pyramid of Power, uh, researcher Daniel Eshelin. He's got a lot of really great work, his books on the Bilderberg Group and some other, um, he writes in Italian and Spanish and he speaks English as well, but some of his best work I think isn't even in English yet. And he points to like looking at European royalty, looking at the families who actually own the, the titles and the deeds to the land in Europe. And you find like these old families, you know, some people, he connected back to what they refer to as the um, what do they call it? The black Venetian nobility or something like that. But it, it essentially goes back to Venice, Italy. A lot of these old 
banking families, the original banking families that started the early, early banks in Europe. And those are the ones who actually know, who actually own the land and actually control that. And in some cases, you can trace their, their ownership to different powerful companies. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that, right? And these are not names that are familiar to most of us, right? These are, there's a list of them that he puts out of different families and you can look them up and find, you know, they are real families. They have a historical relevancy, but of course there's no, their names aren't in the papers as if they have any power. So the belief is that they're really, you know, still the power because they actually own the land and own many of these companies. And then there's other ideas about, you know, we're not hearing so much. I think we're increasingly hearing, but not as much about like Vanguard and uh, BlackRock. We're hearing more about BlackRock and James Corbett's been doing a great, series recently some articles a three-part article uh series looking into them and um the head of them think you know he's also partnered with the world economic forum so you see that connection so again i think the world economic forum is some indication of the power it's like the it's like the way the the same approach that these people have always taken um which is the the round table strategy you know having the sort of outer circle which would probably be the World Economic Forum, the public face of these things, and the gathering where the messages are disseminated from Klaus Schwab and his people. And they get people who are, um, especially they're really targeting the the youth, you know, and by that I mean 40 and under, 30 and under, they have specific organizations. Everybody knows about young global leaders. I did an article a couple months ago about they have the global shapers, they have the new champions, they have several other kind of groups like that, and they establish themselves all over the world uh, with the global shapers, I even found out there's one in this city that I live in Mexico, which is not like a popular city, not really a major city or anything like that. But they have a local hub here and they start getting probably the best and brightest in these different areas who think that, you know, they just want to do good in the world. And well, the World Economic Forum, the UN, most people are taught that those are like prestigious organizations that you should be proud to work for, right? So they get pulled into that and they start getting invited to these events. Meanwhile, Klaus Schwab and whoever he's really, you know, working for or listening to, they have a deeper agenda kind of behind the scenes in the inner circle, right? But they they legitimize themselves by bringing in people who may not even really know the true purpose of the whole machine itself. Right. And that gives them some air of legitimacy because those average people are like, what are you talking about? All I hear about them is investing money in these good causes. And they say sustainability and diversity and equity and all the buzzwords right. and people who don't right. look beyond that, they don't know the difference. They also call for central bank, digital currencies, the great reset vaccine passports and facial scans, all like tr human track uh, tracking to, to, to increase economic <laughs> prosperity. Like the, they all say with like the, with benefits behind it, you know, like, Oh, we need to do, we need to do this so we can make it better for everybody, you know, but like, it's, it's crazy <laughs> police state shit that they're talking about all the time. And they, most of the time, the things that they say a couple years later, I'm saying they, the World Economic Forum, a couple of years later, it it happens. You know, like they, the World Economic Forum, Atlantic Council, Council on Foreign Relations, all these people have been pushing for CBDCs. And now we're watching them come to fruition, man. It's a uh, it. So regardless if the, C, if the WF is a front or a distraction, the shit that they're saying is happening and it's coming to fruition. And we're like, we're watching this unfold in front of us. It's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely a smart idea to watch them. Like it's 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 not I don't think it's a total waste of time to pay attention to them and that's why I've written articles and stuff. Uh kind of because again, they're the public face and this the agenda is becoming more and more clear and I, I will hand it to people like older researchers like old let's say old Alex Jones and some other people back in the early 2000s who 
uh, would constantly point out that like, hey, I'm not making things up. I'm just reading their books. I'm just reading their own words. I'm I'm listening to the uh, reading the transcripts of the meetings they're having and things like that, right? And this is before everything was on the internet, where we could easily just watch a live stream of what's going on at the World Economic Forum and stuff like that. So you had to do a bit more research um, to dig and find what they're talking about. But it was still all there. And in that same vein, like that's exactly what's happening now. Like so, there is some benefit to paying attention and not totally ignoring what they're saying but i don't think we should you know assume that we have an eye on you know the top of the pyramid right well that was where i was going with that i was going to see where do you think this is going i mean clearly we can see that they want they want total control via you know central bank digital currencies and then like they, they started under the guise of vaccination but the the digital passports to track movements and facial scans and and even implantable microchips they've mentioned before like do you what do you think that they're trying to implement with this do you think that that these people are evil or they're misguided and they think that this is humanity's only path forward or what do you think their intentions are with trying to usher in all these new police state measures i think there's a couple things going on you know i i do believe that there are like clearly there are organizations that we're talking about here and maybe others that we don't have uh, access or view of that are out there uh, with their own agendas that are separate from what the public believes their agendas are. Right. So that is happening. And I acknowledge that I don't necessarily think it's just one single group of people, right. Who constantly agree. So I think at times there are multiple conflicting agendas that might occasionally you know, rub against each other, but generally speaking, this, predator class, as I term them, definitely see themselves as more allied with each other than they do the average person, right? So, you know, when it comes to that, they're going to, they're going to defend each other more than they'll protect us, obviously. Um, and with that said, I think we do have some level of a eugenics agenda. I definitely think that there is a depopulation agenda to, and, and this is something that like I've heard about since the beginning of my research back in 2009, 2010, and have considered and been willing to consider, but also like as a journalist or even just as a, you know, content creator, putting out videos and reports, I've never put out videos kind of screaming that from the rooftops. They're trying to kill you and things like that, because I have been skeptical of those claims and I don't want to just be irresponsible about that. But as time goes on and the more research and things I think become clear and then of course studying the people that are in front of us and it's clear they do have eugenics um preferences and agendas and there's also some you know unknowns about people like klaus schwab and his family's ties to the literal nazi party of, of germany and things like that right i think we're still dealing with that same um science race-based science you know scientism essentially using the state and there was a really uh, really good article i read recently that was talking about just the, the connection between technocracy and totalitarianism and scientism and just how you know you can look through the commies the nazis they all have their version of the science that they think you know that serves the state's agenda and pretty much to go against that is to be an enemy of the state so i think that we do see people who either out of a bloodlust or maybe some sort of desire to do good gone terribly wrong, believe that the answer is to reduce the population. Um, I think men, most of these people are not ready to be open about that. And so there are different programs that exist and that could include potentially engineered uh, pandemics. It could include, you know, the, what some people sometimes call slow kill methods like fluoride in the water causing, you know, neurotoxicity and, uh, liver damage and kidney damage and things like that to 
poison in the food, toxins, like all these sort of methods that aren't going to kill you overnight, but over time do lead to a degraded, weakened population um, that is maybe more easy to manage and maybe even more dumbed down. That those kind of things uh, probably part of that, you know, that those, I don't think those are happening for no reason, right? I, I think there's like, we're not, if some, if people like us can do the research and find the science and see the damage caused by, um, just as an example, water fluoridation, hydrofluorosilicic acid being added to the water in the U.S. And we're just, you know, normal average people reading and doing some research. There's no reason that the people, quote unquote, in power can't figure that out, right? So then you have to start asking like, well, why would they just totally ignore this science, right? And, and just act like you're crazy if you say that people might be damaged by fluoride or by the vaccines or that maybe genetically modified foods aren't going to be the best thing for our bodies, things like that, right? You, you just, we see like the pushback against that. And yeah, that does lead one to wonder and question, why is that? Why is there this clear, just ignorance, you know, by choice really to, to not see the damage happening to people? And one could draw a conclusion that maybe it's by design to yeah to hurt people on purpose and to potentially re reduce the population over time i think that's one of the agendas and then obviously everything you described matt like that the world economic forum promotes is all part of the technocratic uh what i call the technocratic state and that i wrote about in my book how to opt out of the technocratic state um that has been emerging for a while now and when i published that book i was writing it in late 2019 i published it january 2020 right before covid and covid just made it all really obvious but you know i didn't have a crystal ball i just was doing the research like you you guys we've been at this for a while now and watching the police state grow and the surveillance state grow and watching um where it's all headed and you could see you know and so that is definitely one of the agendas that's at play here a clear desire to use technology uh and the trust the experts kind of mentality that's part of technocracy to use that to guide the rest of our future and so we see that kind of emerging for better or worse where you look at the top names of people who are influential in the world and they're all associated with big tech in one form or another elon musk bill gates um obviously the Zuckerberg, Bezos, these kinds of people, you know, the richest, the billionaires, the people who are really trying to geoengineer the planet or control different things. Or as of last night, Elon Musk and their Neuralink trying to put 64 threads into your brain. Um, you know, these are the kind of people that are shaping. That's a technocratic world that we're moving into where the people with money, with influence and with in control of the technology, the quote unquote experts, are more and more in control of the decisions being made and guiding society. And that's what they, what a technocratic philosophy is about. They thought that democracy was a failure, as many of us do. They were like, you know, people are too stupid to rule themselves, but monarchy is not the answer. It's not a dictatorship. We need a technocracy, a rule by the technocrats, by the technological experts and their tools to centrally manage and centrally plan society. And that's the philosophy, that's a, one of the agendas that we're also seeing unfold here. So I think that there's, it's those kind of things maybe competing or overlapping a desire for control and management of society, as well as a desire to reduce the population and people of varying degrees who may believe they're doing good in the world and, or are being used, you know, as uh, so-called useful idiots. And then one more thing I'll add before I shut up here is that I think there's also the spiritual component to it as well. Like that, particular agenda of uh um i don't know i mean there's a lot of roads to go down with that but just generally speaking whatever you want to identify or personify quote unquote evil with that energy that force whatever you want to label that 
I definitely think there's some element of that, that um, trying to dominate the human spirit, you know, and to change what it means to be a human in, in general and to confuse people and to uh, really manipulate. And, you know, there are people who have different religious or spiritual beliefs who feel like this is part of the things they've been told would come. And, you know, I'm not here to say whether that's you know true or not, but I definitely do believe and I have my own perspective on this being a spiritual battle as well. Certainly, dude. And if you if you have any doubt about some of the intentions of these of some of these people, it you do you don't have to look any further than fluoridation of water supplies, man. You know, like the like you said, that there's useful idiots who think that they're doing good, who think that fluoride drinking fluoride is good for your teeth, and um, <clears throat> and that you know that it helps society in some way or another. But there's troves of public data out there that show the negative effects of this, like the 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 conglomerate of studies out of harvard that that looked at different fluoridated populations and saw the massive drop in iq the you know the fact that they've examined pineal glands if you want to get into the spiritual realm they've examined pineal glands of fluoride overdose and it that's what it attacks and calcifies on which you know the pineal gland is like the they call it the third eye because it's the only part of the brain that there's one of right there's two of everything in the brain but the pineal is in the center and so yeah, there there could be this big spiritual war on on humanity from these people, and if it if there is, it seems like they're winning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, wh where do we? How do we? How do we wake up the masses that are drugged and and fluoridated and and just the you know even the experts who think that they're doing good that that are still like they're just part of the machine. They have no idea. How do we? How do we combat this? Yeah, man. It's uh, this is what I've spent the last 13 years trying to figure out and it, i think it looks like a lot of different things depending on you know it's it's going to be dependent on the individual of course like what mode of action you want to take some people they want to start a podcast or they want to um you know host events maybe or put out their own content uh, go out there and talk confront politicians or just pass out flyers to people i mean i've i've tried it all and i don't know that there's one single perfect method that um reaches you know everybody because i just don't think it works that way right and i've also tried to figure out like what is it that m made each of us have the sort of seed within us to to question at some point right i mean it it kind of sprouts at different points in our life there's people who you know they don't even start questioning things till they're in their 50s or 60s but they do at some point right and there's some people who just maybe they're like oh i never had to wake up i've always just been skeptical and curious and then it naturally led me to this you know this line of thinking Whereas other people like myself have to go through something traumatic, like going to prison and kind of have a waking up process. And then that leads to the political stuff. Right. And through all of my travels and journeys, man, there's just so many, there's, there's such diversity in this, you know, larger, broader truth, freedom movement that if there's not one trait, I can even, you know, cause I've thought like, okay, did we, did we not drink enough fluoride or did we not watch <laughs> enough TV to be, you know, praying much? but there really isn't one like, straight trait. There's people who are like, no, I was chugging soda every single day and I watched 13 hours of TV and, you know, and then one day I just had this experience and I woke up. Right. So different things are going to reach different people, just like it takes different experiences to quote unquote, wake us up. Right. But I have seen the power of man, just handing somebody a flyer or a DVD back in the day. I know most people don't even have DVD players anymore, but we used to go burn thousands and thousands of dvds of at the time it was like alex jones's stuff and some of jason Burmis's documentaries and just different things that we would find um stuff about the federal reserve and just go to big events and pass out 
DVDs and such. Cause I saw people doing that at the, we are change groups in San Antonio and Austin doing that back in the day. And that inspired me to do it in Houston. And, you know, I remember there was this music festival that I went to in Houston in probably 2009. It doesn't even exist anymore. It was like this big block party street festival. And I was just outside jamming music and just walking around and somebody is walking around, passing out these stickers. And he gave me one and I don't even remember, like I didn't even really know much about what it said. I just know that it said something about 9-11. And I think I was probably already a little just curious. I don't know. I, I don't remember being like a, a truther by any means, but I just took the sticker home and I put it on my keyboard in my music room and I kind of just forgot about it for a little while. And then some months later, whenever different synchronicities started to happen, I, I looked at that sticker again and it said, 9-11 is an inside job, Infowars.com. And that definitely played a role in like, you know, the early part of me, like, okay, let me go look at what the heck this is about, you know, and those simple things can make a difference. You know, those kind of like really basic practical forms of activism. Um, you know, I tried to make my documentary series, The Pyramid of Power with the, the friend of like your friend or family member who thinks you're crazy and, and won't watch anything. I tried to have them in mind when making it because I tried to focus on like videos that could be 30 minutes or less packed full of information, but not overwhelming, all fact-based, all sourced and listed in the transcript. And then end with like some solution suggestions for each topic. And then end with like, Hey, if you want to learn more, watch this documentary or read this book to go further. Right. And just take all the best bits of information and condense it down to 25, 30 minutes. And for the most part, I've succeeded with most of the episodes and I've had people tell me that, yeah, like uh, I can't get my husband, wife, friend, whatever to watch a long video, but they'll sit down and watch a 30 minute episode with me. So I've been going through the pyramid of power with them or people telling me they started using it to homeschool their kids and like show them, you know, the truth about some of these different topics. And so, I mean, I made that with those kind of people in mind, the research I think is good and it'll be interesting for people who are already kind of like deep divers, but I was really making it for like people who are maybe just getting started or just starting to be open to some of these ideas and to just give them a document dump info info dump and then let them kind of start their journey and see where it goes so i mean i do think there's still plenty of ways to reach people obviously we all know the 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 woes of online censorship and being deleted we're veterans of the purge back in 2018 which is like four years ago now i can't believe that um and, you know, the censorship was going on, the shadow banning, all that stuff was already happening before then we were seeing it. But, you know, so we know the troubles of that, but still I'm surprised in some ways and, and really just proud in a lot of ways to see the people who, like yourself, you guys, who uh, we have been able to work with now over five, 10 plus years who are still at it, still able to. And then of course it sucks to see some people who have to quit because the censorship and just the difficulty of becoming part of the independent media and sometimes the lack of money coming in that a lot of good writers, good journalists have had to leave, you know, as you guys know, and go find day jobs and do other things with their lives. And I wish them well, of course, but it definitely sucks for, cause I remember a time when between the free thought project and the anti-media and a few other websites that were just reaching millions and millions of people every day on Facebook and elsewhere, that there was a team of writers and people just cranking out content and kicking so much ass. And it really, I think that's what's hurt me the most over the years is just thinking about the investigations and the things that aren't happening, you know, but I know that even despite that, we're still finding ways to keep reaching people. 
I, um, I'm glad you brought up Elon, Derek, and I feel like he's gotten so much attention and energy, not only from just the mainstream, but even people within our movement, you know, he's gotten a lot of focus, but before I get into my question about him, I, I, you said something important there. You said, um, you, you were suggesting that there's potentially a slow kill going on through these various methods, whether it be fluoride or the pesticides. And we've recently come across some data, uh, people paying attention anyway, that almost collaborates this, which is, you know, I made a tweet of, of about a week and a half ago between the years 1973 and 2018, um, sperm counts dropped 62.3%. And I mean, that's significant, right? Like we could be living in the movie, the children of men here in, in a few decades. Right. So, but at the same time, we haven't really heard any politician or world leader say a word about it, but instead we keep hearing them talk about, you know, and, and focus on these claims of global catastrophe by climate change. So, uh, to me, that's a bit ominous and a bit of a red flag. It certainly gets my spidey senses going. But um, on to my question here. I know over the years you've kept a close eye on like the technocratic state, as you had mentioned, and trans the transhumanism agenda. And um, I also know that you put a lot of thought into your views, which are often highly nuanced, as they should be. We recently asked Spike Cohen the same question when he was on our podcast a few weeks ago. And, you know, I respect and trust your judgment. But like, what is your take on the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter? I mean, to me, it feels like a mixed bag. You know, people are paying attention, know that Elon's history, uh, accepting federal subsidies, you know, exists. Uh, we all know about his Neuralink project, which you, you know, brought up a few minutes ago. And occasionally he'll say something that's free, freedom oriented. And even last week, he claimed that Twitter was going to reinstate a bunch of suspended accounts, uh, which hasn't happened for our old Twitter account, by the way, that had like 13,000 followers. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But like, is all of this part of a larger agenda? And do you think Musk is a bit of like a Trojan horse? Like, what's your thoughts on this? I definitely don't trust him at all. I mean, I, I don't get, there's nothing that this guy's done that has persuaded me to feel like he's on our team. Um, I don't get how and there's even people very close to me i'm not going to name anybody by names but if you follow any of the people i work with you'll very quickly see um, that there are friends of mine that are like all on the elon you know bandwagon and i don't get it because i feel like there are very people who are very principled in some areas and especially if you're coming from a libertarian perspective which would be like hey against funding the state, benefiting from the state, corporate welfare, things like that. When Elon has clear ties to, through his companies to, you know, state contracts. And um, I've been doing some research on like Starlink, you know, is helping with the drone programs, even to some degree, uh, at least it was helping in Ukraine and it could potentially help in the future and may already be helping if we, you know, for all we know. Um, and yeah, the Neuralink thing is, I think a push towards the transhumanist, uh, agenda the sort of merging of man with machine obviously as a voluntarist as an anarchist somebody who believes in self-ownership i believe people have the freedom to quote unquote enhance or augment themselves if they so choose and uh you know that's the world we're moving into very quickly but i don't trust it and i think people should also be skeptical of it not only because 
I mean, we should never just trust the sort of claims of corporations and billionaires, even if they make funny memes or say things that occasionally align with things we agree. I mean, I think that's how many times are people going to make that mistake? Like Trump and other people have come in and they just have to say just enough of certain things like, oh, look, he kind of sort of said something about 9-11. Oh, he kind of mentioned the Fed. Oh, he said this one thing. And well, he's trolling the media. That, that's enough. Let's support him. Right. And it's like people settle for less than principles. And I don't get it because the guy is clearly not principled. There's also some good articles um, about the all the Tesla crap. The lithium is coming from uh, Bolivia, I believe, and mining of indigenous lands. And there's some potential, there's definitely some circumstantial links between Elon and his company. And I don't know if you guys have seen the tweet where he said, we'll coup whoever we want. Whenever people were mentioning, this was whenever there was this alleged uprising or coup taking place in Bolivia right around the time that Elon's company is trying to get all this lithium for their products. And somebody had tweeted to him about it and uh, he responded, you know, we'll coup whoever we want. Now, whether this was him trolling or being serious, I don't know. I just, there's, I could go on, of course, his family's history, his grandfather's connection to the technocratic movement in Canada. Um, there's some stuff people have written about their family's practices in South Africa. I mean, I just don't see how, you can really look past all these different things. And the latest thing that I mentioned was the Neuralink. I actually, um, I'm planning to clip out some things. I watched the first hour. It's apparently like a two hour, 45 minute presentation they did last night. I watched the first hour and I could already see things that I want to clip out and I'm going to put a video out, but also Ryan, um, from last American Vagabond has reached out to me and asked me to write an article about it too. So I've been wanting to write about Elon for a while, and I don't know if this is going to be a full deep dive on all of him or just to look at Neuralink, but uh, there's when you really listen to what they're saying, you know, they're making claims of it's just about it's going to help blind people see and paraplegics and things like that. But in my eye, like you can still hear the subtleties of some of the things he's saying. Like there's a the beginning is Elon explaining how it's going to work, and then they have the scientists and the team come in there and kind of elaborate uh, deeper. And they show how this quarter-sized implant, you know, what it's made of, it's got 64 threads and it's going to go implantable under your skull and on top of your brain. And uh, it has a wireless charger with it. And they show how they had to create a, a robot to be able to do these 64 threads really quick. And they have a, a simulation little brain where they show you how this robot's going to go and thread your brain for this chip that's going to be implanted underneath your skin. And they said, nobody will even know if it, if you're even wearing it and you can upgrade it once a year and all. I mean, they're saying it's going to be for helping handicapped people, but I think it's clear this is going to be marketed in, in many other ways. And again, freedom of bodily autonomy. Yes, a hundred percent, but I would definitely uh, like I'm going to be warning just like with the shots, anybody that I know and love and care about to not be using this technology because I just don't, I, I'm not anti-tech by any means. I just think that this is, there are lines that we really should be thinking about crossing and what it's going to mean and, and how to, if we can go back, you know, and also if you recognize that the World Economic Forum and a lot of these companies that are pushing what they're calling synthetic biology. And uh, I did some works on these companies, Ginkgo Bioworks, and the, there's also the Biden administration's recent BARDA uh, organization they announced. It, they're all researching this kind of stuff. Like the head of that organization said that we're going to be moving into a future where when you see somebody, you're going to walk up to them and say, oh, what genes are you on today? And by that, she means your genes, your genetic code, because you might have a different eye color one day to the next because you choose to take a pill that alters your genes. And just, I mean, this is the world they want to move us into. It's Gattaca. It's, you know, the Matrix. It's a lot of these dystopian 
shows that they've been showing us, including Children of Men, potentially, uh, with the, the the lowering of the population. I mean, it's it's really some disturbing stuff. And all that, to me, doesn't indicate that, like, if, if this guy's as brilliant, as smart as people want us to believe, and some of my friends seem to think he is, which I don't think is representative reality, I think just like Bill Gates, he's got a propped up story of who he is. Um, why can't he see these things, right? And why is he not talking about all the monkeys that died making Neuralink, um, testing the trials, you know, and things like that? It's just, there's too many questions for me to feel good about it. And I, I'm not saying that that's the only opinion that matters or the only, you know, you got to have that opinion per se. But I do think that there is enough tangible, practical, objective evidence, like the state uh, contracts and things like that, military contracts, defense contracts, that any at least a libertarian or somebody who cares about principles should not, you know, feel optimistic about this guy. Well said, my friend. And um, yeah, it, it feels like people are certainly taking the bait. And, you know, I guess part of the problem is we've never really had a mainstream representative for some of our views, specifically the, the voluntarist uh, and libertarian views that uh, Musk tends to espouse occasionally, you know, so I guess maybe that is something to to get excited about seeing that some of these are uh, hitting the mainstream. But at the same time, I think you bring up a lot of very important points. I mean, I get it. Like I've, I, I've been, I never used to pay any attention to his Twitter and I don't, I mean, it's like I'm on it all day, but I'll check it a couple times a week. And yeah, I see some things he says and I can definitely I was even just showing uh, my partner actually last night, I was showing her the Neuralink and sort of stuff and just kind of showing her the sort of things like, look here, he says this thing, this is a kind of positive thing that maybe you and I might've said, you know, you see how this is. And and to me though, I just look at that and I, I guess it feels like to me, we are a lot easily, more easy to manipulate than maybe people even realize. Like if you just need some like why do people really care about him because he's the billionaire and it's kind of feels cool to like oh a billionaire retweeted my thing or he, he commented back to me oh my god you know or what's the real excitement it's just like another celebrity kind of thing that i think people fall into in different ways you know maybe in kind of our movement sometimes people make fun of the mainstream for following celebrity culture or sports or stuff like that but they still have their same heroes and people that they prop up to and and maybe we're all guilty of this in different ways not to say there's anything wrong with having heroes yeah exactly ron paul could be one of these examples but we should be willing to question any of these people we can be inspired or you know motivated or even just like get a laugh out of oh this guy's trolling somebody but you know we need more than that, right? Because clearly we saw what happened with Trump, people who believe that Trump was going to be something different because he was, you know, sticking it to the left and because he understood memes and just all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know. I, th I think we probably need some, if, if you're looking for political leaders, first off, you're going the wrong direction. But if that is your path, you probably want something a little deeper than he's good at trolling people. All right, free thinkers, this episode is nearing its end. Just a reminder, we've been working extremely hard to bring you some of the most powerful voices in the truth liberty movement. We work tirelessly for you to bring these concepts to the masses and to educate and wake up those who continue to sleep. Please don't forget to consider donating or subscribing if you appreciate the work we do. It's becoming more and more difficult to do this, and we can no longer depend on social media advertisers of big tech monetization. Our support network is you. So help us rebuild this organization by going to our website, thefreethoughtproject.com, and at the top you'll find tabs for our memberships and donations. Also, please review and rate this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you, Freethinkers.
on the topic of censorship, uh, Facebook recently said that your post promoting your music goes against their community standards on spam, which is quite a blunder by their algorithms, if it was even the algorithms, of course. But you just released some new music a few days ago under your artist name, 33. And I listened to a few tracks this morning. I was definitely impressed. I know you've been a musician for years now. And I guess when Matt and I came to your festivals uh, for the community um, back in, what, 2015, 2016, your, your band at the time was a little bit more screamo. But your new track, Clarity slash Streetlights, was a departure from that. It certainly had a great vibe. I love the sax sample and the production and musicianship was actually pretty damn impressive. And that's coming from, you know, of course, an audio engineer, which I think many people probably don't know about me. I studied audio production in school. But um, yeah, man, I, I very much appreciated the lyrics, the tone. And this certainly wasn't something that was thrown together in haste, which is even more remarkable because you're spread so thin, man. Like, I don't know where you find the time to do this stuff. But with that said, you are using the name 33. And for all the conspiracy theorists out there, uh, are you a Freemason? <laughs> no, but for real, like, can you tell us about your music and where the fire inside comes from uh, to take on this type of artistic endeavor on top of everything else that you already do? Absolutely. And I will answer the Freemason question because now that you've said it, if I don't answer it, there's going to be conspiracies about why I didn't answer it. No, because it's already like, I, well, for one, thank you, brother, for giving me a chance to talk about my music because honestly, um, yeah, like when you guys came up before I was playing, I've always grown up like in metal and punk. So I've always done either vocals or percussion in like heavier bands. And I was in a band all the way up till 2019 when I was still living in Houston, but they kicked me out because I'm too busy <laughs> as is clear. I was running for mayor and trying to do these things. And they're like, dude, you just, you don't have the time. And so, you know, I graciously bowed out and I took off a little time for music, but it was really around that same time that I was, I've always listened to different styles of hip hop, not like a huge hip hop head until more recently, but I've appreciated it. And particularly like the storytelling aspect of it, the ability to tell stories with hip hop and the whole history of it. And I, um, yeah, so I had kind of closed the door on like playing with a full band for at least for a little bit. And I had an experience right around the time when I was turning 33 and my birth father, he died of a drug overdose that year. And uh, it was just, music like always you know it's just a very healing thing and there was this one day that i was in my room in houston and just had all this emotion going on right and i just had my pa system set up i turned on just some like lo-fi jazz hop like instrumental mix that played for hours and i just hit record and just started letting all this stuff come out of me and you know i wouldn't say that any of it was particularly great or anything but i hit record and i just was having such a cathar uh, catharsis, like this huge release is really powerful. And then, you know, would listen to the recording a couple of days or a week later and found a couple of pieces that are like, you know, there's something in there. There's actually, I think something that if I put some time into might be worth playing with. And that was kind of the early seed of what was, what has become 33. And I've just been kind of working on that behind the scenes. And I've released a, a six song EP last year at the end of 2021 right when I was going on the US tour and then the Mexico tour. And so when I did these tours just the last year, um, the activation tour, we did 30 cities in 60 days in the US and then a similar kind of schedule in Mexico. I was doing talks, but also performing my music um, for every stop. So that was cool too. 
And, and yeah, I mean, I chose the name 33 because that's like the age I was when I started really getting into this idea of rapping. It's the age I was when my father died of a drug overdose, but then also like on a deeper level, I don't, you know, I'm not like an expert on numerology or any of that stuff by any means, but you know, I see connections and synchronicities and I definitely, you know, there's people who say they believe that Christ was resurrected at the age of 33, that Buddha was 33 when he ascended and, you know, became enlightened, so to speak. We also technically have 33 vertebrae. The bottom couple are fused together for most people. But also, I kind of, I'll be honest, I like to trigger people a little bit who are afraid of uh, symbols and numbers and things because, yes, the Freemasons, they have a 33rd degree and there's different secret societies that use that. But, you know, if you ask one person, they'll say it's a quote-unquote satanic number. It's a Freemason number. You ask another person, it's an angel number. It's a master number. You know, it's a – so I think it's it's about, you know, the symbols and the numbers, these things. For one, I refuse to give they, them, the predator class, the Freemasons, whoever, monopoly over a pyramid or a triangle or um, the, the swastika. You know, I don't – the swastika had a use before the Nazis. Right. I mean, many people know that, right? Well, it doesn't have to be – what they claim it to be. And I don't think that the number 33 is just something we should abandon and give up because some shady people use it for their own purposes. Right. So to me, it is like a number that represents like healing, growth, change, transformation. And I'm preparing to release this new album, which is going to be 12 new songs. And this is like something like I'm, I'm just incredibly proud of. Uh, it's called transmutation. And I've been going to the studio out here in uh, Mexico where I live and We've probably, I would say, are about a week to two weeks at most from being totally done with the album. And then it'll probably be coming out by Christmas, early New Year's, if not. And I'm super excited, man. It's it's like you mentioned, Clarity, Streetlights. And we put out another single called Set Myself Free. And basically the whole album is kind of like the soundtrack to the roughest years of my life um, and transporting myself back to a state of mind that I really don't exist in anymore. But, you know, being very young, like in my late teens, early twenties, super depressed, looking to drugs and alcohol and sex and partying for, you know, for answers and eventually getting addicted to some hardcore drugs, getting addicted to, addicted to crystal meth and then going to prison. And through that, having this kind of awakening that has honestly guided everything I've been doing since then. And I was arrested in 2005. So it's almost been 20 years. I was 20 years old when I got arrested. And um, the album basically is telling that story. And so it's it's heavy. It's, it's got some like, you know, some some deep elements that are maybe going to be a little harsh for some people to hear. But I also hope and believe it is relatable to different struggles, whether people have had the same struggles I have. And then about like three quarters of the way through the album is kind of like the point where the song set myself free, which is one of the singles is the, the moment where like it all kind of comes crashing down. It's like a super like dark, almost brooding song, but I think the lyrics and the chorus are really strong. And that's like when I get arrested and like when I kind of realize like I got to change shit, you know? And then from there, like the rest of the album is more like becoming this 33, you know, what that represents and, and, change and healing and growth and waking up and and then obviously becoming more conscious of what's going on in the world because i was so lost in all that shit i couldn't really even care about or pay attention to what was going on in the world because i was dealing with my own struggles and things like that dude i gotta say um i have to apologize to you first because i didn't even know you were doing the music thing until today and uh jason shared some links with me and <clears throat> i actually jammed uh set myself free and i'm like it, it, it reminds me like a mortal technique. It's just, it's, it's like some deep hard hitting um, just beats and, and your lyrics, man. It's, it's, it's really good. 
I actually wanted to play it on the podcast for today, so I have it. I have it queued up, and um, if uh, if you guys are ready, I'm gonna do it. let it go. Go for it, brother. Thank you, man. All right. Feels like everything around me is crashing to a halt And sometimes I wonder why it's always my fault It feels like the answers are always so elusive I'm burying my pain in drugs, yeah I'm so abusive But the only one suffering is me, myself and I Can't believe I let it get to the point where I almost died Now I'm trying to climb my way out of this grave I dug Another broken son, another missing hug, another wannabe thug Help me set myself free Help me find myself, please. Help me set myself free. Help me find myself, please. Help me set myself free. Help me find myself, please. Help me set myself free. Help me find myself, please. I haven't been strong enough to stand up for myself. I hid behind the dope in a vain pursuit of wealth I can't even remember where I was last night It's like something's gotta give, but I can barely put up a fight I'm so weak from all the substances I shoved in my system Now I'm locked up, it's like I'm just another symptom Of a broken system, all the people I lost, man I miss them I gotta find myself, I gotta get free, I refuse to be a victim Help me set myself free Help me find myself, please Help me set myself free Help me find myself, please Help me set myself free Help me find myself, please Help me set myself free Help me find myself, please I'm doing my time cause I won't let it do me I have a choice, I can do what they did or I can do me I'll strike out on my own path and find my destiny There's no limits to what I can do once I'm physically free But for now, I strengthen my body, mind and spirit There's a better future for me and I'm trying to be near it I'm shifting paradigms and evolving states of mind I promise you won't recognize me next time you see this face of mine Help me set myself free Help me find myself, please Help me set myself free Help me find myself, please. Help me set myself free. Help me find myself, please. Help me set myself free. Help me find myself, please. Dude, so powerful, yeah. man. Very well done. I can't <laughs> wait to listen to the rest of that. <clears throat> the rest of the all the whole album and everything. Thank you, brother. Yeah, that's very powerful. Yeah. Thank you, man. I'm glad that that's hitting the way that I, I hoped it would. And um, yeah, actually, literally, as we're having this conversation, I just got sent another track, uh, the latest version of it. So we're we're like maybe a week or two weeks, less than two weeks from it being done. And I'm working on the album cover. I'm even thinking about going old school with it and actually printing some CDs and maybe even like some super limited records just because I want a record of my own music, you know? Yeah, so yeah, we'll I've see. shared it on our YouTube, uh, our free thought project, YouTube. So if anybody's looking good, oh, well, thank you. Go you follow the Derek's 33 on YouTube and all of his other stuff too. 
Yeah, the, the emotion certainly shines through, man. It's it's deeply authentic, as you could tell. It's hard not to feel that one. So great work on that, brother. Thank you, guys. I know you made a post yesterday that the Conscious Resistance Network website now includes topic categories to make it easier to search through the 10 plus years of content. Uh, can you tell people about that and your site and where they could find you and plug anything that you'd like to plug? Absolutely, brother. Thank you. And um, yeah, thank you for noticing that. So I started the Conscious Resistance, the ConsciousResistance.com. I started it in 2012. First is just a place to kind of um, give me a voice, I guess, because I was involved with an activist group, the Houston Freethinkers, and I, I didn't really want to speak for the group. So I felt like I needed my own place to kind of share my thoughts. And I've also always been interested in you know, volunteerism, anarchism, but also spirituality, psychedelics, uh, UFOs, all kinds of weird stuff. And I wanted a place that I could just do some real journalism. You know, I, I have to, over time, I started taking it more seriously, but I wanted to do, have a place where I could talk about all these ideas and not feel like I was kind of limited in any, any way. And over the t over time, it's evolved now to the latest version, which is our third version. So we're calling it Conscious Resistance 3.0, uh, where it's become like a network I'm definitely by far the most common contributor here that you'll see, but there are other people who contribute to the website periodically. And I'm always looking to, you know, for more co contributors, especially people who are just starting out and might have a message that kind of al aligns with what we're doing. Uh, it's just another way to boost the signal of other people who are doing good work. But um, yeah. And so since I've had this site now for over a decade and been producing everything from books and documentaries and podcasts. And I've done a lot of different things over the years. Um, used to do a weekly live show that I don't do anymore and all kinds of stuff. It, it's a lot of material on a range of topics. So when we relaunched the website, I wanted to make it more easy to navigate. And so when people go visit the consciousresistance.com, you'll see as you scroll down like a section that's investigations, documentaries, books, uh, the three A's of agorism. A lot of my work is focused on agorism, anarchism, and then presentations, you can see my talks. And then if you keep scrolling down further, you'll see kind of more topics that are specific to the subjects that I've researched. So we have the pyramid, which is just all the pyramid of power episodes, which you can also find at the pyramid of power.net. Um, then you got the Epstein network. So that's, you know, all my, my work on Epstein since the very beginning, the finders cult, every report I've done on the finders, including uh, the documentary. And I recently, I just added a, a a category for the Utah ritual abuse that I was describing earlier, because I've got about a dozen or more reports on that now. The surveillance state, COVID-19, 5G technology, which is something I also made a documentary on and spent quite a bit of time on. Uh, I added a technocracy category just this week because I realized I have a good amount of work on that. And then anarchism, agorism, motivational, which is sort of more of my kind of just like stream of consciousness, more inspiring, not really news related, um, talks and, and videos. And then I added a section for the old walk and talk because I started to do some of these walk and talks. So I don't, I'm not sitting at my desk all the time <laughs> and uh, people seem to like them. Sure. Good call. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I just tried to make it easier to navigate all that stuff. And yeah, everything that I do, theconsciousresistance.com, you can download my books for free if you want to support and buy some shirts or just see all the different interviews and content. We've even added a uh, Spanish section that you can see at the top navigation too. So we're getting more and more of my content translated into Spanish documentaries and articles and things like that. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. And like I said earlier, I'm so grateful that you guys are still at it and doing what you're doing because, um, I just know that 
all this effort and energy we're putting into it, I know it's it's coming from a good place. It's coming from a pure place, and that it's going to result in in positive things, even if we're not seeing them immediately. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And um, you know, this is the end of the podcast. I usually try to say a few things to highlight you know aspects or traits that our guest is excelling at. But like honestly, man, like you're pretty much writing the book for what a modern day 21st century activist could and should be doing as innovators and trailblazers often do. And uh, man, your work ethic is flawless and second to none. I think largely because your passion for truth, liberty, justice, uh, and change just burns so bright. So as someone who's had the pleasure of being your colleague in this space for years, and I think I also speak for Matt when saying this, thank you for everything that you do to expose the darkness, to revive integrity and truth and to align this upside down world with peace and harmony amongst the chaos. So thank you again. We appreciate your time today. Uh, thank you guys so much. I appreciate both of you, man.